This podcast was produced in partnership with Post Industrial Media. Post Industrial produces original journalism in podcast, print, online, and video, covering communities in transition around the world. Join our community today by visiting postindustrial.com. It's a cold spring night at the beginning of the pandemic. A group of people gather in a drafty warehouse. Ammon Bundy faces them, standing in front of a batting cage. And yeah, it's that Ammon Bundy, the guy who's led two armed standoffs with the federal government. This is the first meeting of the People's Rights Network. And it's kind of a joke. I was there. We're in the little farming town of Emmett, Idaho, where Bundy lives. He's in his trademark cowboy hat, blazer, jeans, and cowboy boots. A crowd member starts with a prayer. Dear Lord, we open up to you tonight and we ask you to keep us all safe and thank you for every person that is here and for the conviction in their heart that brought them here tonight. And thank you for everything that we can be together for and help this to go well. Thank you. Amen. About 45 people are sitting in folding chairs or standing. There's plenty of empty chairs and extra space. It's March 26, 2020. The first COVID-19 cases have just been detected in Idaho. And the day before, Idaho's Republican Governor Brad Little had made a sobering announcement. Following the guidance of our public health experts, today I will be issuing a statewide stay-home order for all of Idaho. Little is a very conservative guy, big Trump supporter. He's a wealthy rancher who actually lives in the same small town as Bundy. And the crowd at Ammon Bundy's meeting is also very conservative. Bundy starts his meeting by reading out Little's emergency order. All people in Idaho shall immediately cease hosting or participating in all public and private gatherings. Oh, you guys are in trouble. (laughs) The crowd in front of Bundy is almost entirely unmasked. The whole meeting is in defiance of the order. Despite having all the room in the world in the mostly empty warehouse, they crowd together. Everyone at the meeting is angry about Little's pandemic orders. They reject any restrictions. And Bundy encourages people to keep their businesses open in defiance of the emergency order. If you decide to keep your business open, then I will be there. Me too. Right? And I will bring as many people as I can, and we will form a legal defense for you. We will form a political, an active political defense for you. And we will also, if necessary, provide a physical defense for you so that you can continue in your rights. Bundy rambled about obscure constitutional theories. Chief Justice Morrison Waite argued that the right to peacefully assemble was, was, is a natural right that pre- preceded the adoption of the Constitution rather than the right granted by it. He invited the crowd to chime in on what action they should take against the governor's orders. There was never a question about whether to rebel, just a question on what it would look like. In their view, nothing justified an emergency order. Personal freedom and upholding the Constitution is more important than anything that's going on. If, if we knew for sure that 150 million people were going to die, that would be tragic and sad and very unfortunate, but that still doesn't trump our freedoms and our yes. rights. I, I applaud that. That's Bundy endorsing that. And yet, he's applauding the idea that 150 million Americans dying is not worth a temporary state of emergency. Despite the extreme rhetoric, though, it seemed like a nothing burger at the time. The crowd was so small and the ideas so out there. I started writing a story in my head about Ammon Bundy losing his mojo. It was a joke. Until it wasn't. Because this was the beginning of a revolution. It created a nationwide anti-government network, and Bundy's been growing it ever since. 
I'm Heath Drusen, and this is Extremely American, a look inside militias and other far-right groups that are trying to remake America in their absolutist image. Episode 5, People's Fights. Hammond Bundy's kind of famous, or infamous, depending on your perspective. He gained notoriety through his role in two standoffs with the federal government. Remember that 2014 standoff in Nevada with Eric Parker we mentioned in episode two? That was Bundy's dad's ranch. Bundy was there, and there's this video of an incident that says a lot about him. There's a bunch of federal agents trying to hold back an angry crowd on a lonely highway. Bundy drives up on an ATV and gets between federal agents and the crowd, which is there to support Bundy's family. One of the agents has a police dog, and it snaps at Bundy. Bundy kicks the dog, and another agent tases him. Bundy takes a few steps back, then rips the electrodes out and goes after the agents again. And they tase him again. Same thing. And a third time. Bundy is relentless in the video. Eventually, the feds back off. Bundy's supporters celebrate as the trucks drive away. Later, a bunch of armed militiamen and other assorted people with guns descended on the ranch from across the country. And they won. The feds gave up and went home. Two years after that, Ammon Bundy led another standoff. He and a ragtag group of men and women with guns took over Oregon's Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in 2016. Unlike some of the leaders we've taken a look at, Bundy's not out to polish anyone's image. If Eric Parker is looking to be the kinder, gentler face of the patriot movement, Ammon Bundy is happy to be the blunt weapon. Here he is at Malheur talking to journalists at CBS this morning. We are serious about being here. We're serious about defending our rights, and we are serious about uh, getting some things straightened out. Do you anticipate that this could lead to violence? Um, only if the government uh, wants to take it there. I saw an interview with one of your members who was heading there today who said he is prepared to die for this cause. Do you feel the same? Um, I feel that absolutely, but probably not in the way that most people will take it. Bundy beat the feds in federal court after both standoffs, though he spent a significant time in pretrial confinement. I've mentioned it before, but Leah Satilli and Ryan Haas do an excellent job delving deep into the history of the Bundys in their podcast, Bundyville. Ammon Bundy lives on this apple orchard with his wife and six kids in rural Idaho. I've spoken to Bundy a lot. His home's just 40 minutes from where I live in Boise. Reporters sometimes misrepresent him as a rancher, but he runs a car and truck business. Bundy's weirdly soft-spoken for a guy so willing to scrap with the federal government. Okay, I'll say it. He's got a folksy charm. He's very aw shucks when talking about his group getting into armed conflict. He says if the government tries to force him into something he doesn't agree with, he'll fight them. This is from an interview I did with him at a diner in his hometown. I am going to live free. I've kind of said, look, this is the line in the sand for me, and I'm not going to cross that. Okay? I'm not going to cross that. I don't want to go and instigate. I don't want to go to cause trouble. I don't want to do any of that. Right? But, and so I have an obligation myself not to cross that line. 
but also that line should not be crossed. Um, so if that line is crossed, then I will defend myself. And I know that there are millions of people out there that also believe or are understanding and subscribing to those same things. He's also got some complicated views. He criticized Trump for his anti-immigrant rhetoric and policies. In a video he posted to YouTube, Bundy also showed some sympathy for Black Lives Matter protesters, said the police are a threat to liberty. You must have a problem in your mind. If you think that Antifa is the one going to take your freedom, you know, you must be hypnotized by these social media code words or by, you know, uh, conservative talk show hosts that basically put these keywords in your mind to, to make it so that you think certain things about certain terms, such as defund the police. No, defund the police is the correct thing to do. He got a ton of shit from the far right for all that. But maybe it's a seeming lack of ability to play nice, even with some allies, that people like. Because a growing number of people are on board with his message. That meeting in the warehouse I said seemed like a joke? Well, it blew up, turned into a nationwide movement. Bundy started recruiting in neighboring states. And, to a large degree, Bundy built it on a grassroots level with events like one I attended in March 2021 in Logan, Utah. It's in this early 20th century theater. The 124-seat recital hall is overflowing. The organizers are scrambling to find some extra chairs for people. Each attendee gets a pocket constitution as they walk in. How about you? Do you have a constitution book? I don't. There's a buzz as the MC takes the stage. COVID cases are really high, but the crowd is almost entirely maskless in defiance of Utah's statewide mandate. And they're here for Bundy, who encourages that kind of thing. Okay, he's been called a domestic terrorist, a white nationalist, a white supremacist, leader of a militia known as People's Rights. Whoa. Okay, well, People's Rights. After a little mic trouble, she introduces the man of the hour. His only true enemy is tyranny and evil. May we all leave here tonight understanding how we may become like him, a warrior for freedom and liberty, and stand up for ourselves and others in defending our God-given, constitutionally protected rights. Ladies and gentlemen, Ammon Bundy. Bundy is in his element. He's in the midst of an anti-government barnstorming tour, and he's explaining his new group called People's Rights. Okay, so People's Rights is a network. It's a network of people that realize that there's a need to unite. Uh, It's not like any other organization because it's not really an organization in a sense that even though we're organized, it's not a hierarchy. People's Rights really is different. It's not a paramilitary group exactly, but kind of acts like one sometimes. It's more like a militia on demand. If the government oversteps, people's rights members can hit up a phone tree to get their friends to come to their defense. And that defense is armed when necessary. Sometimes defending liberty gets ugly. It does. And sometimes it gets, well, almost every time it gets very uncomfortable. I went to a couple stops on Bundy's Utah tour to get a flavor for the people drawn to his group. The crowds are from different walks of life. There are cowboys, young families from the suburbs, and gray-haired grandmas and grandpas. There are a few hardened militia members, some anti-vaxxers and other activists, but a lot of regular people too. In fact, they look a lot like the crowd that stormed the U.S. Capitol in a haphazard attempt to overturn the election. 
They are angry at the government and looking for guidance on what to do. Bundy is ready to provide that. I hate to say it, and I've said, but I've said it a lot. We are not going to find remedy to the security of our liberties in Washington, D.C. We are not going to find remedy to the security of our liberties at the Utah Capitol building. We are not in the legislature with the governor. We are not. And unfortunately, even at this point, we are not going to find it with our local governments. Most people in the crowd are nodding in agreement, murmuring approval. So if you've given up on pretty much every governmental institution, then what? Bundy says he rejects violence, but he certainly wants the government to know there's that possibility. They're trying to tell you, the government will try to tell you, that it's a bad thing when they feel afraid of the people. No, that is a necessary thing. His message hits home with the audience. They have so many questions, the talk goes way over its scheduled time. This is how Bundy recruits, and it's working. As of the end of 2021, People's Rights has more than 33,000 members across the country, according to the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights. That's a left-leaning group that monitors extremism. Bundy actually took issue with that report. He said his numbers are nearly double that. It's hard to know, as People's Rights membership and funding are extremely opaque. Either way, that Institute report was meant to sound the alarm, not underplay the importance of people's rights. The report found that Bundy's group grew by a whopping 53% in one year, even after getting kicked off multiple social media platforms. And 33,000? That's a lot of people saying they're ready for armed defense against anything they see contrary to the Constitution. Remember, they decide what that document means. Not the federal government, not the courts, not local government. Bundy said it. There's no remedy there. As people's rights grew, Bundy and his allies started taking action. Emboldened, they protested at politicians' houses, including the governor of Idaho, whose emergency order started the movement. Everybody at the count of three say, serve. One, two, three, serve. All right, let's go to the next address. And they started showing up at health district meetings dealing with pandemic strategies. A couple times, people's rights protesters shut down the meetings when they refused to wear masks. In one case, they showed up armed to the house of a county commissioner in Boise, Idaho. Diana Lachianda wasn't home. She was in her office attending a virtual meeting of a health board. Can I interrupt you for just a moment? My 12-year-old son is home by himself right now, and there are protesters banging outside the door. Okay, I'm going to go home and make sure he's okay, so I will reconnect with you when I get there. Protesters were blowing air horns, banging on buckets, and loudly playing clips from the movie Scarface. The protesters left after Lachiando called police, but three were later arrested for disturbing the peace. Lachiando wasn't the only local official they visited at home, and that crossed the line for a lot of people. People's rights demonstrators also showed up at a playground closed due to COVID concerns. They brought their kids, staged a play-in. Cops arrested one of the parents. Afterwards, Bundy led a group to march on the house of the arresting officer. His group even bullied at least one city council into abandoning plans for a mask mandate. In-your-face tactics have kind of become a signature of the group. Then, Bundy got more ambitious. In August, there was a special session of the Idaho legislature. Seating in the public gallery overlooking the House of Representatives was limited and distanced due to COVID-19. Bundy didn't like that. So he and a group of people's rights activists stormed the Capitol. Many of them were armed. They overwhelmed state police trying to stop them, shattered a glass door. 
And, as they have at just about every turn, politicians caved. The Speaker of the House didn't even clear the gallery. He just went about business as if nothing was happening. And, also like just about every turn, Bundy took it farther. He could have gotten away with the storming, but he stayed in the committee room long after the committee hearing was over. Kind of seemed like he wanted to get arrested. Police asked him to leave. By order of the Speaker, you are requested to leave. If you do not leave, you will be arrested. He refused. So he was arrested for trespassing, banned from the Capitol for a year. He wouldn't budge, so officers blew him out in the chair he was sitting in. He went back the next day to make a point and got arrested again. Come on, you guys don't have to go this far. This is insanity. He's doing no harm. He's a man of God. I mean, come on. That's right. Really. He refused to cooperate with police, so they wheeled him out again this time in a cart. I'm not sure it achieved what he was going for. People mocked him on social media with memes of a cuffed Bundy in the chair. Swivel disobedience, one tweet sneered. On top of that, a Boise liberal activist, Emily Walton, happened to be there when he was wheeled out the second time and filmed herself yelling at him. Get in the car, Ammon! Just get in! Get in! Shut your face! This kind of thing has been replicating all over the country as people's rights expands. It grew out from the West, steadily marching eastward. Chapters started in the Midwest, the Rust Belt, the South. It's now coast to coast. People's rights chapters organize protests against anything they see as unconstitutional. They hold regular classes on topics as varied as canning and firearm self-defense. People's rights is often labeled anti-government, I think for pretty obvious reasons. Despite making his career fighting authority, though, Bundy bristles at that label. Here he is in an Idaho Statesman interview. I believe that the governments in general have lost their vision on what their purpose is, which is to protect the individual. And two, they have lost their understanding that they are limited, that they do not have the power to just make a law for anything. And of course, that's why I get the anti-government name. But I'm not. I believe that we have to have a government. I believe that it has to be accountable and it has to be limited and it has to be for the purpose of protecting the individual. But he sure doesn't seem to like government. He squared off against federal agents at his dad's ranch. He took over a building at a national wildlife refuge to protest government action. When the Idaho government made rules responding to a once in a generation health emergency, he stormed the Capitol. He didn't even vote in the last election. He explained that to me in that diner interview. We see that no matter what the people do, no matter who they put in office, the direction never changes, which should give people a clue that the voting might just be a red herring, that the processes that look like are going on might just be a way to distract the people from really what's happening. So it was a little surprising when you made this announcement in June of 2021, as his network was taking off. Ladies and gentlemen, the time has come. And so I'm announcing now that I will be running as governor for the great state of Idaho. Surprising on one hand, on the other, it's a hell of a soapbox, not to mention recruiting tool. Bundy makes his announcement in a park in a Boise suburb. It's a hot summer day, and it's a whole thing. His dad, Cliven, is there. He's the guy at the center of that 2014 standoff in Nevada. Cliven is flipping burgers in an apron emblazoned with, I had a beef with Bundy. I know my son to be good, and I know whatever he's trying to do, he's trying to help people have a better way of life. 
In some ways, the spectacle around the announcement is as important as Bundy throwing his hat in the ring. The crowd is a mix of anti-government activists and regular curious conservatives. Before his announcement, Bundy's friend Diego Rodriguez warms up the crowd. He's this hyperactive preacher who often comes on stage with an AR-15. This time, he's just in a suit with no visible weapon. The crowd is amped. Let me ask you guys a question. If government officials came to your house to forcefully steal your property away, what would you do? It's hard to hear, but they are saying, shoot them. One guy also said, call the militia. If they came to take your children away for teaching them the gospel or homeschooling them or not giving them the COVID jab, what would you do? Again, shoot them. And yeah, he said COVID-AIDS. <laughs> I like this crowd. <laughs> to be clear, Bundy seems like a long shot in the Republican primary. He has gotten a couple endorsements from outside of Idaho, though. This is Roger Stone. I'm not the kind of person that tells other people how to vote, but when it comes to Idaho, well, I like Eamon Bundy. That's the former Trump confidant that Trump pardoned after Stone was convicted of multiple felonies for obstructing an investigation into Trump. Stone mispronounced Ammon Bundy's name, like, four times. But Bundy was happy to publicize the endorsement anyway. He also got an endorsement from former Congressman Ron Paul. Bundy's got an uphill climb to win. But he could peel away votes from another more viable far-right candidate cozy with militias, the state's current lieutenant governor. And he's going to have a pretty big stage as long as he's in the race. So, should we be worried about Bundy and his group? Like his fans yelling, shoot them? Is it all talk? At least two prominent People's Rights members have been arrested in connection with the January 6th U.S. Capitol riot. Several more were arrested in scuffles with police outside Bundy's trial for trespassing at the Idaho Capitol. There have been much more serious incidents, though. The spokesman for Bundy's Malheur occupation was Lavoy Finicum. At the end of the standoff, he ran a police roadblock, got out and reached for a gun. State police shot and killed him. Another Malheur occupier, Sean Anderson, went on to shoot at police in Idaho. Anderson was shot and wounded. He was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Here he is next to Bundy at a meeting two days before the shootout. I feel out of place in my own country, and that pisses me off. Driving up here, you know, am I going to get pulled over? Am I going to get stopped? I don't feel free. And I'm a little bit of a radical. I'm not going to get arrested. I've already been there. They don't play by our rules. They don't follow the laws, the Constitution. So I'm not going to do that. I've made my line in the sand. I hope God watches over me and protects me. Even darker was the story of Jared Miller. He came to the 2014 standoff in Nevada. Less than two months later, he and his wife Amanda Miller murdered three people in Las Vegas, including two cops. They draped one body in a swastika and don't tread on me flag. They left a note on the body that said, this is the beginning of the revolution. The question about Bundy's message seems especially important now that he's on another barnstorming tour of sorts. He's making stops across Idaho to spread his message, this time as a political candidate. I asked Bundy about all of this violence that has surrounded his movement. For each incident, though, he has an answer. He condemns what Jared and Amanda Miller did in Las Vegas, but he doesn't see a connection to him. He says militia members who had come to Bundy's defense asked Jared Miller to leave the standoff. As for Lavoy Finnicum, Bundy thinks he was murdered by police. And Bundy has defended Sean Anderson's role in his shootout with police in Idaho. I pushed him on that during our interview at Cold Mountain Creek, a no-nonsense, eggs-and-bacon place in Bundy's hometown. A lot of people listen to you. A lot of people really respect you uh, in the movement. 
do you feel some responsibility to take precautions to avoid folks like that from maybe taking the wrong message and, and taking things too far? Well, so I, I don't take responsibility for anybody else's actions. I'm responsible for my own actions. And I am not in the business of telling other men and women what to do. After that, Bundy went to this really telling quote he often likes to deploy in interviews and speeches when I asked him if his ideas can inspire violence. Well, I think John F. Kennedy said it best when he says that those who make peaceful revolutions impossible make violent revolutions inevitable. Bundy's followers have similar questions, and they're looking for guidance on what to do in potential conflicts with the government. Like, how can they fight the feds without sparking a civil war? Bundy rejects the premise. We do not instigate. We do not go and try to force or change something that is not going to change. We defend. If then at that point they push it to the point where we have to defend ourselves enough that they call it a civil war, then it is justified. Sure. A lot of people in the Patriot Movement talk about theoretical defense against the government. But Bundy, what makes him different is he seems to end up in actual confrontation much more quickly and often. And his followers take that cue, and they find confrontation on their own. There he was in Bunkerville, pulling taser electrodes out of his body. And there he was driving behind his friend, Lavoy Finnegan, when Finnegan reached for a gun and was killed by police. And there he was in the Idaho Capitol, refusing to budge till he was wheeled out in a cart. Those lines in the sand that Bundy talked about, the lines Bundy and his followers determined, they keep getting crossed. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Next time on Extremely American, when Idaho's governor leaves the state, the lieutenant governor goes rogue and swears in the militia. Okay. I, I do solemnly swear, swear that I will support and defend, that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States against all. We'll look at what happens when the far right becomes mainstream. Extremely American was created by me, Heath Drusen. Story editing by Morgan Springer. Mixing and sound engineering by James Dawson. Original music by Micah Huang. Additional music from Artlist. Kim Palmero is editor-in-chief and CEO of Post-Industrial Media. Thanks also to Boise State Public Radio, the exclusive public radio sponsor for this podcast. I hope you'll take a second to rate and review this podcast on whatever app you're using to listen. It helps other people find us. This podcast is made possible through the Candida Fund. Learn more at kendeda.org and from the Joyce Foundation, joycefdn.org, with support from the Forbes Funds at forbesfunds.org. For photos from this series and some companion articles, head over to postindustrial.com. This podcast was produced in partnership with Post-Industrial Media. Post-Industrial covers people, culture, and ideas for post-industrial communities around the world. Visit postindustrial.com to learn how you can join the post-industrial community.